to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Alright, we are continuing our series on the radical Jesus, and this morning we want to look at uh, one of the radical things that Jesus did found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. If you have a Bible, you can open up uh, to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Otherwise, uh, you can check out the screen. Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says in verse 1, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand. Now you should underline that. Reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, instantly, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Offer, go to the priest and Offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray, God, that we will become a little bit more like Jesus, God, in, in the way we interact with the world. Pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Just to give you a quick context, in the Old Testament, certain health conditions could render a person unclean. You can read all about that in the book of Leviticus. For example, skin diseases or a woman with the issue of blood. When one was unclean, they were required to stay away from the public, from their family, from their community until their condition changed and their restored health will then be verified by a priest. Lepers and others with contagious skin diseases were not only categorized as unclean, but if you read Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, in public, they were required to ring a bell, ling, 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 while calling in a loud voice, unclean, unclean. So you can just imagine in the Old Testament, if you've got leprosy, wherever you go, you have a bell with you and you'll be ringing the bell and you'll be saying, unclean, unclean, and that is to keep people away from you and the reason for that is if the clean touches the unclean the clean becomes unclean all right so and that and that will ostracize them from the family from worship and so the unclean being responsible have to ring a bell and keep the clean away from them but in this story when Jesus came upon a lepers instead of backing away Jesus touched and healed them and the unclean became clean. Now you've got to understand that Jesus was a rabbi. He knew the laws. He knew, uh, the, he knew the Old Testament requirements inside out. But in spite of that, he reached out and he touched the unclean. And the unclean became clean. See friends, with the Messiah, the entire principle of the clean and the unclean is reversed. Come on, say praise the Lord. It's, re- it's reversed. Jesus, who is clean, did not become unclean by touching the unclean. Instead, he be- the unclean became clean. Likewise, when Jesus touched us, who were yet sinners when He saved our lives, instead of being unclean, 
we the unclean becomes clean. See, friends, in the Old Testament, you touch a leper, you become unclean. In the New Testament, Jesus touched a leper and he became clean. He became clean. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus reached out. See, friends, Jesus could have spoken the word, right? In many occasions, he spoke the word and the sick was healed. But in this story, he was very intentional. He reached out to touch the leper. He was showing us some, some truths here. And there are three myths or three wrong beliefs this morning that I want to address that were so different from what Jesus believed in. But these three myths, until we dispel them with truth, actually disempowers us and empowers the devil. It actually restrains the church from her ability to transform the world. So let's dispel some myths this morning from this story. Alright, the first myth is this. The presence of sin in the world is greater than the power of righteousness in the believer. The presence of sin in the world is greater than the power of righteousness in the believer. Now, that's a myth, but many people in the church, many Christians actually believe in this myth. See, Jesus, as I said, didn't have to touch the leper. He could have spoken the word, but Jesus in reaching out, which was an intentional act, and touched the leper, was trying to show us, was trying to show believers that we should not shun sinners, we should instead touch them or run after them. Amen? We should not shun sinners. Instead, we should run after sinners. But oftentimes, the believer underestimate the power of God within them. Underestimate the power of righteousness and we are threatened by the presence of sin in the world but the bible tells us in first john chapter 4 verse 4 you dear children who are from god and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world the one who is in you christ in us the hope of glory Jesus, who is in us, is more powerful, who is stronger than the sins, than the filth that is in the world. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master. Now, do you know that? As New Testament believers, sin is no longer our master. Now, we still struggle with the effects and the presence of sin, but sin is no longer our master. We're supposed to have mastery over sin with the power of righteousness within us. Amen. Because you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. Romans 6 verse 14. So I want to say this to all of us this morning. Under the, the old covenant, when the unclean touch the clean, as we read in Leviticus, the clean becomes unclean. You get it? That's when you're under the law, when you're in the Old Testament, the unclean touch the clean, the clean becomes unclean. But the truth in the new covenant is when the clean touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. The unclean becomes clean. When the clean, the righteousness of God in Christ, all of us, the church of Jesus Christ, touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. The truth is this, Christ in me is the hope of the world. Christ in me is the hope of the world. We're not supposed to run away from sin. We're not, as in like, not sinful acts, but we're not, what I'm saying is, we're not supposed to run away from the filth in the world. We're supposed to run towards the filth of the world and the power of righteousness within us would sanctify. 
everything that we touch, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's uh, in your studies, whether it's in the army camp that you're a part of, when the believer understands the power that he has inside and he starts to manifest the glory of God within, the world gets transformed. The same as when Jesus touched the leper. The leper gets cleansed. When the believer touched an unrighteous system, the unrighteous system becomes righteous. Amen. When the believer touches a business plan, the business plan becomes wise and righteous. This is the power that's inside the believer. But oftentimes, we underestimate the power that's inside us. See friends, the answer to a sinful world is not, a, a, is not avoidance. Come on. The answer lies in a touch from the church. I want to repeat that. The answer to a sinful world is not the believer withdrawing themselves, live in a monastery and practice the Christian life. That's not God's plan. The Bible says we are supposed to be in the world though we're not of the world. Unless the salt gets out of the salt shaker, the salt has got no impact, no power over the decay that's in the world. But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be in the world but not of it. We don't believe, we don't practice worldly values, but the presence of believers in the world actually transforms the world. It's not avoidance, but the answer lies when the church recognizes the power within and start touching the world with the power of righteousness. See friends, as a church, we must never be too busy standing up for righteousness that we neglect sitting down with sinners. Some of you may, may quote me Psalm chapter 1, right? Do not sit in the seat of the scoffers. No, we're not sitting in that seat. We sit down with them. That's a huge difference. We don't believe in what they believe, but we hang out with sinners like Jesus did. We touch the unclean like Jesus did, and our touch actually transforms them. How else can we transform family system? How else can we transform government policies you know, with the principles of the scriptures unless believers are out there in the world recognizing how powerful they are? See, the first myth, uh, we have got to dispel that before we can actually make a difference in our world. And Jesus actually came and He didn't avoid sinners. He hung out with sinners. And because of that, the Pharisees hated Jesus. Because of that, He was crucified. Come on! That's myth number one. The presence of sin in the world is not greater than the power of righteousness within us. The power of righteousness in us is actually stronger than the presence of sin in the world. Myth number two. When we understand that the power of righteousness that is in us is stronger than the presence of sin in the world, then myth number two is this. Some things, places, and vocations are sacred. That's a, that's, a, that's a myth. That there is this sacred, secular divide. It's a myth. That some vocations are of a higher calling. The pastor's job on Sunday, or what I do on an everyday you know, when I, as I'm speaking to people and praying and counseling, that's more spiritual than when a designer is designing a logo 
for a corporation or when a portfolio manager is trying to manage the investments or when a doctor is trying to treat a patient or when an architect is designing a building that the pastor's job is a higher call. Now, have we heard that? That you are called into the ministry and your call is the highest call. I, I hear this growing up, but that's not biblical. The, the, the fact that Jesus is trying to show us that, you know, there's, not, there's really nothing unclean. If the presence of Christ is there. So what exactly, I want to just debunk this myth this morning. What exactly is the sacred secular divide? It is a view of life built on a separation or distinction between those things, people, places, someone believes to be sacred, like holy and of God. And those believe to end that, and there are others that we believe are secular, worldly, not of God. There are certain callings are holy, like for example, missionary, pastor, and others are secular, like an architect, a designer, a consultant, secular job. Pastor, missionary, full-time worker, sacred. Some buildings, sacred. Church building, prayer places, the altar is here, sacred. Other buildings like school and clinics, Secular. Now, that is not biblical. That's not in the scripture. I've heard uh, people telling me when I drive by a church building, I'll say to my children, say a prayer, say a prayer. And the kids grow up believing that church buildings are sacred. And that when they go, go to school, school is secular. So I practice my faith on Sunday in the church building and I don't practice my faith on Monday in school because the school is secular, the church is sacred, so we live, we, we live separate lives, so we dichotomize our lives. Everything is dual. And I tell you, friends, that is not biblical. The theologian that actually uh, pr proposed that is a guy named Tertullian, and he introduced within the church a theology called dualism, that there are some things secular, there are some things sacred, and if you want to practice the Christian life, it's all sacred, spiritual, and then the rest, your work, your vocation, they're all secular. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. See, the secular-sacred divide dates all the way back to the early 4th century when Constantine determined that Christianity would now be the official religion of the Roman Empire. Do you know before that, Christians were persecuted? Before that, you had to pay a price to be believers and you're being hunted down, you're being eaten by lions, you're being stoned. Read the Bible. It's until the 4th century when Constantine, the emperor, determined that Christianity now is the state religion. And what happened in that decision? The faith went from being a persecuted minority, a suspected sect, a weird group, to become a mainstream, accepted, socially desirable pathway to power and to prosperity. And the church becomes more and more corrupted, and those who want to practice the Christian life distanced themselves, went to the, mount, the mountains, and thus ushered in the Dark Ages. Do you know why the Dark Ages act even happen? Because the light now goes into a bushel. Because the salt now go back into the salt shaker. And then, there's this darkness. The church uh, was just political. It was a position that you have. The bishop, if you remember playing chess, a bishop is a position. You are powerful. A bishop, you know, uh, goes, uh, will send troops to war. And, and the knights, and you've got the queen, you've got the king, and 
It becomes professional. And actually, the sacred-secular divide actually damage the work of the church. One of the most insidious and common ways the, sac- the sacred-secular divide manifests itself is the concepts and discussions around calling and vocation. I won't just go deep into this because this morning, I sense God is going to just renew our mind in this area. Alright? The trained pastor in this belief does the study, the preaching, the teaching, the counseling, the discipling for the congregation. You hire the pastor. Let the pastor do all the spiritual work. While the trained missionary, we appoint the missionary, send Melina to uh, the Philippines, uh, send Joshua, quit the job and uh, go to India. And he's now called by God to be a missionary to India. And we pray for him, we send him out and now he becomes a poor missionary. He's now a professional. While the laity, the rest of us is left to do the relatively menial task. Not meaningless, still important, but menial. Like teach the Sunday school. Come on. Like ushering, being part of the band, caring for the building. While the higher profile work is left to those who are called. And then the rest of the laity, so to speak, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ with a heart to honor God, to serve Him, find themselves feeling trapped guilty in non-ministry jobs. Some of you who are working uh, as an accountant, for example, or a teacher, and you spend your whole day marking papers or doing the accounts or keying in data fields, ah, this is not spiritual. I want to get off work so I can go to church and do my ministry. Haven't we heard that? I've I've got friends who say, ah, a lawyer's job. I'll just leave prom at four. I'll go to church and I'll start serving God. What were you doing when you were working? Not serving God? But because of this sacred, secular divide, we are confused and we feel guilty when we put in a bit more time working and we feel, ah, I'm not serving God. I'm not being spiritual. Now, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. Come on. The biblical reality is this. Each one of us is called. There's nowhere in the scripture where the Bible tells us that missionaries, pastors are called. No. All of us, all believers are called. You have, you, the Bible tells us that you have a high calling. Every single one of us have a high call in God. And that calling or vocation, being the will of God is perfect and you cannot be improved on that. In other words, we are all equal in our calling. There's none higher, there is none lower. Your calling to be a teacher Hannah is as high a calling as my calling to uh, speak in the church. Your calling to be a consultant, some of you, is as high a call as Jason's calling as an intercessor. Your calling as a designer is as high a call as, as uh, Joy's calling in, in uh, children's ministry. There is no sacred secular divide. A pastor is never a title. In the Bible, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a role. Yeah. It's a gift. And there are some of us here who are called by God to be a teacher. Yeah. And you may be a lawyer by day, a biblical teacher by night. We know some people who are walking in, in that. It doesn't make him any lesser than the pastor who teaches on Sunday morning. That's a, 
We, we have to allow God's word to renew because of what Christ has done. He touched the unclean. As long as you feel that you have, you have been called into a certain vocation, that is a high and a holy calling. Amen? Amen. See, I'm thankful to hear more and more from people who tell me that they are called. Some of, some of you have got friends who have said to you, I feel I'm called by God to serve in the government. Now, that is revolutionary. I feel called by God to be a teacher. I feel called by God into media. I feel called by God. Now, all these one part of the vernacular of the church 50 years ago. 50 years ago. In fact, I heard that in England, the firstborn usually becomes, uh, I don't know, like a politician or the secondborn into business. And then the thirdborn child uh, will go into ministry being a lesser vocation than, than the firstborn for decades. And that is not biblical because even Luther and Calvin wrote about the doctrine of vocation. But unfortunately, this subject are unknown to most Christians and even to most pastors. And we make the mistakes of actually calling people out from their vocation to serve God full-time. And what are you doing before you come into full-time ministry? Are you part-time Christian? Are you part-time ministry? No. I like what Ed Butoza said. All right, and he's one of our heroes when we were growing up. We read his books. And he is a full-time Bible teacher, but he understood this truth. And he said, let us practice the fine art of making every work a priestly ministration. Let us believe that God is in all our simple deeds and learn to find Him there. If we truly believe in what Tosa said, whatever you are doing every single day, it's a high and holy calling. Commando, when you are protecting the country, that's a high and holy call. Those of you who are driving people around, high and holy call. Lawyers, high and holy call. Let us believe that every work is a priestly ministration. Do you know that all work is spiritual? The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You're not just earning a paycheck, friends. Whatever that you are doing when you run a consultancy business like So Young or when, you, uh, when you're doing research for a firm, whatever that is unto the Lord. And when you do that, work becomes worship. Because the Bible says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance. See, the inheritance is not just the pastor receiving a spiritual, godly inheritance. Whatever that you are doing unto the Lord, if you do it with all of your heart as unto Him, you will receive an inheritance. Come on, somebody. God has got to renew my mind in this area. Because when I was growing up, I never thought that I was a part-time Christian or I was any less a minister. The moment I came to know Christ, I realized that my life is all about ministry. I say a prayer. You have heard me share this when I was 15 years old. I said, God, for the rest of my life, I'll serve you. And I did that. When I was in tertiary, at, when I was in uh, Nian Poly, I, I, I was ministering. There was no full-time title. I wasn't called a pastor. I was 
forming a group, I didn't think that I need permission to form a group to reach out to people. I was just doing it, being salt and light. When I was in the national service, you know, we founded a small group. One of, uh, one of my campmates who were born again safe. It, it, it isn't just doing evangelism. It was just me ministering. I said this to people all the time. Tomorrow, if I no longer preach and I work in Starbucks, not any lesser. You know, when I work in Starbucks, guess what I'll be doing? I'll have lunchtime fellowship with my colleagues at Starbucks. There's, there is no difference. If you want to be truly Bible, there is no difference. When was the last time you heard an invitation to come forward and surrender to, to the calling to be an engineer? I'm called by God to be an engineer. Hallelujah. But do you know that we need engineers? We need scientists. We need breakthrough in medicine. We still need to find a cure for cancer. And who will do that? Perhaps some of you are called by God to find a cure for cancer. Perhaps some of you are called by God to find solution for overcrowding in, in first world cities. Perhaps some of you are called by God to, break, to, have, to have breakthrough in design technology. Some of you are called by God to redeem back the arts. I mean, God has a specific calling for some of you and that is not any lesser than the pastor. Amen? When was the last time our church or any church that you know of held a commissioning service for an entrepreneur who was launching a new company? That's radical. You mean commissioning, not a reverend, not, 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 not a missionary, but you are commissioning an entrepreneur? Yeah. Why not we lay hands and we send this person? I mean, these are all concepts that are not anti-biblical. These are actually of the Spirit of God. And we're seeing more and more of that in the Bible. Amen? In the Bible. Do you know who's, who's the first Spirit-filled person in the, in the Bible? Who is the first Spirit-filled person in the Bible? Very good. It's found, in, it's, it's found in Exodus chapter 31, verses 3 to 5. It's not the pastor. It's not the priest. The Bible tells us that concerning Bezalel, they were building the temple. And the Lord says, I have filled Bezalel, him, with the Spirit of God. The first mention of being filled with the Spirit. I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To do what? Not, not to preach, not to lead a small group, not to be a missionary, but I filled him with the Spirit to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. The Bible tells us that this guy, Bezalel, was anointed. He was filled with the Spirit to do art. Hey friends, I'm here to tell you that we need the anointing to design software. We need the anointing to write a play, to direct a movie, to, com to compete in sports, to manage a childcare center, to teach in school. To study in school, we need the anointing. To do investments, we need, we need the anointing. To actually drive a car, be a policeman, serve in commandos. 
If we understand this truth, then every day I'll tell God, God, anoint me with the Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Ghost to be a filmmaker, to be a teacher, to be a, to be a Bible scholar, to, no, to be a school student. Fill me with the anointing to be a musician. Fill me with the anointing. If we understand this, friends, it will totally transform the world. You won't drag your feet to work on Monday thinking that this is less Christian than your worship on Sunday. If anyone here who manages a business say, God, fill me with, with the anointing to write business proposals. Fill me with the anointing to turn around my business. Fill me with the anointing to manage my staff. I tell you, it is, it is legal. You can pray that prayer because the first mention is, this guy, Bezalel, was filled with the Holy Spirit to make wood. Yes, we ask God, anoint me to serve in the worship ministry. Anoint me to teach the Bible. Anoint me to lead the life group. Anoint me to go on mission trip. Why don't we add to that list? Anoint me to be a doctor. Anoint me to be an engineer. Anoint me to be a lawyer. Before a big case uh, in the court, anoint me, Father, with your spirit that, that, that I may know how to present your justice, how to exhibit your mercy in the midst of this. Uh, God, anoint me. Wow. Wow. Powerful. I know Yao Sheng does market research. Imagine, God anoint me before I meet my client. And then when you start speaking, people say, wow, this guy has got something different about him. And then on the side, they will come to him and say, what's the difference? The anointing. <laughs> if you're an Uber driver and you drive under the anointing, you play sports under the anointing, Man, come on somebody. It is scriptural. See, all work is worship. Yes. When you are a barista, anointed coffee. As I, as I said, ministry is just who I am. It's not what I do. It's just who I am. My ministry started when I was born again, 15 years old. Whether it's in uh, uh, my secondary school or Nian Poly, ministry started. I was working part-time for a friend called Daryl. Some of you know him at, at OneVox. It, it, it was a business. And I was uh, there to do coffee and make food. But I was actually there to help him develop the business. I was 20 years old. And I'll be praying, God, give me ideas. Give me, you know, and I'll, and I'll put whatever I learned in Nian onto paper and actually write for him marketing plan. I did. And I was 20 years old. And I thought to myself, well, this is a pretty cool plan at 20 years old. And I gave it to Daryl and said, Daryl, this is the marketing plan. I, I was actually doing cost accounting for Daryl. I said, if you, are in, if you are in this location, you will never make money. Because the total square area can only have 30 seats. The cost is so much more than, and you can't fill 30 seats over lunchtime. And so I, I started speaking to him with wisdom that's way beyond myself. And I said, oh, where did this come from? Anointing. It is the anointing. I'm not smart, guys. I just learned how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And so some of you who are entrepreneurs, I tell you, you plus the Holy Spirit equals a successful business. Shakaraba. All work is worship. 
And when you understand that, it leads me back to my first point. Whatever you touch, you cleanse. I know Mingwei is in construction now. Imagine every time he walks into a new apartment that he's renovating, whatever he touched, he's cleansing, he's, he's overflowing, spilling out the anointing. I mean, come on. <laughs> it is true. And that's how we can possess territories for the kingdom of God when all of us believe that we are commissioned. Not just a pastor. But all of us are commissioned. The teachers are commissioned. The investments uh, professionals are commissioned. The, te- uh, uh, the, the, the drivers are commissioned. We're all commissioned by the same spirit to make a difference in the world. And that leads me to my final point, m- myth number three. Myth number three is that a lot of us think that church is just an institution that you attend on Sunday. Church is just an institution that you attend on Sunday. Because of the sacred-secular divide, what happened in the 4th century is that money gets poured into buildings. If you go to Europe today, oftentimes the attractions were buildings, right? You go into nice-looking church buildings with saints on the wall, wooden pews, and they will tell you how old the building is but void of life. (laughs) You go in there, no worship takes place. It's just buildings. Some of them came back from Germany. Buildings, very nice, but it's not a church. It's a church building. But because of the sacred secular divide and buildings become sacred, millions of dollars are invested into expensive buildings. Why? Because in our mind, we thought this is a sacred place. Oftentimes inhabited by a handful of clergymen except for a few hours on Sundays. So we confuse the church being the body of Christ, Jesus touching the leper, being the body of Christ. We confuse that with the church being a building. And so we start telling our kids we are going to church. And who are you on Monday? (laughs) Instead of us being the church, we don't go to church. Can I just introduce a paradigm to all of us? What are we doing this morning? It is the church gathering. The church gathers to be equipped, to be edified. The church gathers on Sunday. Sometimes we gather in smaller groups on Friday. Sometimes on Wednesday night. Sometimes Saturday for prayer. The church gathers. On Monday, the church scatters. You are still the church. The church scatters on Monday. If we understand that there's no sacred secular divide, if we believe that whatever we touch gets cleansed, the church scatters on Monday to evangelize and to exemplify Christ. I love that quote. And Andre and I crack our brain to help us remember this point. On Sunday, the church gathers to be equipped and edified. I love that, the two E's. You get that? Come on. <laughs> on Monday, the church scatters to evangelize and we were stuck for a while. Yeah. And then we said to exemplify Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. The church gathers. Sunday morning is the gathering of the church. Monday morning is the scattering of the church. And we are scattered to represent Jesus in the world. 
See, the truth is this. Church is not just a place you go on Sunday. It's who you get to be every single day. You are the church. Didn't the Bible say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We learned that last Sunday, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost resides within us. That makes you a holy place. Wherever you go on Monday, the holiness of God is at display. The glory of God in the temple is at display. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and as you ask God to anoint you more for your work, the glory of God begins to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Don't you love this? Jesus touching the leper. What was unclean becomes clean. We are the body of Christ. Your vocation doesn't categorize you from whether you are holier or you are lesser. You are the body of Christ. When the church goes to work on Monday, the church is still the body of Christ. And that's why I'm not, set, I, I'm not divided when it comes to brands. It doesn't matter whether the people that I meet who are believers go to an Anglican church or Methodist church or a mega church or a small church. They are part of the body of Christ. I meet my fellow body parts <laughs> in the school that you're a part of. Hello, body part! What what you learn from your Methodist church on Sunday? Oh, we learn how to care for the sick. Oh, that's great. I learn you know, how to be the church. Come on. And you start trading. The body parts start to come together. Wow, I love that. Amen. Now, that is powerful. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> So the title of my message is When the Clean Touch the Unclean. I want you to know, friends, no matter what you're struggling with this morning, you are clean. Because Jesus lives inside you. If you stumble and fall, you can come to Him and say, Father, cleanse me. And you are clean. Whenever Jesus touches you, you are clean. And that's why, friends, every day come before Him and say, Father, touch me. Jesus, touch me. Because His touch in your life cleanses you. Amen. Cleanses you and He knows what you are struggling with. He knows your temptation. And He will empower you and He will energize you to live a victorious life. But you are clean by the blood of Jesus. And as you apply the blood every single day, you are a cleansed vessel. And then... You recognize that there is no sacred, secular divide, that whatever you are doing is holy, is spiritual. That's when you realize that, wow, I'm called by God. As much as Daniel is called by God, as as much as Jason is called by God, I'm called by God. Which is why one of our mission is to help you discover your God-ordained purpose in your life. I want you to know why you are called, what you are called to. I didn't want to say this, but I think I should. I have a pet peeve. What, you know what frustrates me? Is for, for the longest time, the church looks at the best manager or looks at the best worker in the marketplace. And we have a need. We have a need. And we say, okay, you are a vice principal of a school. That's fantastic. But the church needs help. 
Quit your job, come full time. It's a high call. Come full time, man. I know of people who have been in full time ministry who was a vice principal, and all this person does today is just to buy coffee and tea and plan for the trips for the pastors. I don't agree. That's not full time. That's robbing a person from his, from his or her true calling. And I really pray that the day would come when all of us understand that we are called by God to be an entrepreneur. We're called by God to be in the investment industry. We're called by God to be a doctor. We're called by God to go into government service. I'm called by God into civil service. Called by God. And do you know when you have the confidence that you know you are called by God and when you walk into the office on Monday, there's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of the anointing on your life. And all those who are younger, I want to impress that on you. The highest calling is not to be a pastor. It's not to be a full-time worker. The highest calling is to discover why God has made you and walk in that God-given assignment. That's the highest calling. That's the highest call. Amen? And some of you, perhaps for a season, may be in full-time vocational ministry. Some of you, for the rest of your life, could be in full-time vocational ministry because of the need. But that doesn't make you better or higher or holier than the rest of the body. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. But the radical Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has called us to touch the world. Because when the church touches the world, an unclean world becomes clean. Does it make sense? Let's sing a song and then I'll pray.